my water bottle from Danny. He always likes to steal it from me and take a sip. So I had to hide it from him. This on, comfortable. Okay, good evening. I got I got my uh, my number called as well, just like Stephen, and uh, like Stephen, I also uh, will not say no to the the uh, the opportunity to share God's word. It's one of the uh, privileges of. Uh, of being a Christian is to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Uh, I'll be honest with you, though, the Lord totally threw an audible on me. <laughs> and uh, so I pray it's a blessing to you. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 5, we'll begin there. It threw an audible on me. But I think it's something that we need to hear tonight. Romans chapter 5 will be our jumping off point. When you're there, say amen. 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 Okay, Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. The Bible says, therefore, you got to look at those therefores and find out why they're therefore. Being justified by faith, we have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And if you know your Bible, and you study the book of Romans, it's the first of the Pauline epistles in our Bible in order for a reason. All the major doctrines are laid out in in Romans. If you haven't read Romans, I'd suggest as a new believer, read Romans. Romans is a great book to start out. Uh, Romans, he has the therefore there in that first verse for a reason. The first three chapters of the book of Romans, he's explaining how everybody is condemned under sin. Jew, Gentile, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 4, he pivots and he starts explaining the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ by faith. He uses David and Abraham as an example, so that's why he says, therefore, in the beginning, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? Because at at times we were enemies with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, and those those first two verses are beautiful verses. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you got to realize that before you were saved, you were an enemy of God. You, were, you, you had the judgment of God abiding on you. And if you haven't called upon Jesus Christ, that's still your state. And uh, verse number two is a beautiful verse too. By whom also we have access. It's an amazing thing, this thing that we have, being able to ascend into the throne, of, throne room of God. The, the high priest in the Old Testament only had that privilege once a year to enter into the holies of holies, not without blood. And now we can just go in boldly, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. That's some great verses right there. We rejoice in the glory and hope of the glory of God. We might get to that tonight, God willing. And then he pivots in verse 3. And I mean, if you really think about it, he's just explained for four chapters, talking to people who might be lost. And then in verse 3, I mean, verse 1 and 2, he's talking about people who are definitely saved, and that's you who say amen. Uh, and then verse 3 he says, and not only so, not only rejoicing in the fact that you have hope of the glory of God, but he says, but we glory in tribulations also. I mean, just put it in context of, of how the book is laid out. It's not that far into the Pauline epistles, and he's talking, and in, in context of the book itself, he's saying, you might have just got saved, hey, you're going to have tribulations. He doesn't go three verses into the chapter without saying that. And he says, we're going to glory in those tribulations? That's a, that's a tough thing, Paul. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, right? And uh, how can you glory in tribulations? That's a tough thing to do. The answer is, what he's trying to get out of those tribulations, the end result of those tribulations, is for us to have hope. You don't have to turn there, but the book, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews 6 chapter, uh, Hebrews Chapter 6, verse number 18, uh, the Bible says that by two immutable things 
in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, so we have some comfort in this, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which entereth into that within the veil. So as a Christian, and I know that's a little bit out of context, but spiritualize for me for a second, you have a hope, the Bible says that's an anchor for you. When the waves are tossing and turning, and the winds of life are blowing, you have an anchor. The world doesn't have that. But we as Christians, we have that, and it's hope. It's hope. So that's what I want to talk tonight about. I want to talk about hope and the hope that we have as Christians. So if you just join me, I want to pray one more time before we begin. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord, that we thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, that you've acquired for us, that you've given us, Father God, that the world doesn't have, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that we have a hope that's an anchor for the soul, Father God, something that can hold us fast, Father God, that we can, that we can trust, Lord, will keep us in, in the safety of, uh, of, of your promises, Father God. Thank you for that, Lord. And uh, I just pray, Father God, to be a blessing tonight, Lord. I pray that your words might be on my lips, Lord. I pray that you might just move me out of the way, Father God, that the, the word spoken, Lord, might be from you. And I pray that you might give us boldness, Father God, as we go into this, Lord, and give us some hope tonight, Father God. Uh, increase our hope, Father God, and increase our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, hope. Let me give you a quick definition as you turn with me. If you can turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to keep stepping on my shoelace like a knucklehead. If you can turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. You want to find out words in the Bible. The Bible is laid out perfectly for you. You just find out the first time it's mentioned, you get a good idea of what God means by hope. Ruth chapter 1, Joshua judges Ruth. Let me give you a quick Webster's 1828 definition. It's a pretty long one, so bear with me and please listen because it's important. Hope, a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it or a belief that it is obtainable. Hope differs from wish and desire in this that it implies some expectation of obtaining the good desired or the possibility of possessing it. Hope, therefore, always gives pleasure or joy, whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety. A second definition is hope is a confidence in a future event, the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good. Hope. In Ruth chapter 1 uh, we'll start in verse 1. We see, we see the first time hope is mentioned in, 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 the, in your Bible. Uh, hope, uh, Ruth, chapter, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And if you know the story, it's Elimelech, his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and his wife, Naomi. They go into the land of Moab. They leave Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread, uh, because of a famine in the land. And they go to, uh, to, to Moab, uh, you know, among the Gentiles, to try to, to, try to have some, some sustenance. And as they go there, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, passes away. Um, Naomi's children, Elimelech and, uh, I mean, um, Malon and Kilion, marry two Moabitess women, Orpah and Ruth, uh, and then they just pass away. The Bible doesn't even give details on how they passed away, but that's just life. People pass away, unfortunately. And um, we'll take it up in verse 6. So if you could just put yourself in the picture of, of Naomi now, who's lost everything after 10 years, lost her husband, lost her two sons, and now it's just her and her daughter-in-law's. I mean, you got to really imagine that these are real people. They really existed and they really lived and they felt and they bled like we feel and we bleed. The Bible says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, in verse 6, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had, given, had visited His people and given them bread. And that's kind of, I mean, we, we, if, you, if you see the pictures, Naomi pictures Israel, who forsook Bethlehem and Judah, the house of bread, 
to go to Moab, a wash pot, and just like Israel has forsaken her God and gone after and served idols and other things that don't, that don't sustain you, but it's a shame because the Lord was going to provide for the people. You see that there. He, he visited them. If they had just stayed in the land, who knows what would have happened, but that's not how the story went. And like us, and like them, we make decisions sometimes that might not always be the right choice, but it seems right at the time, and, but life goes on, and we have to live with the choices that we make. Verse 7, Wherefore she went forth out of, the, out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return unto the, with thee unto thy people. And no, Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may, have, that they may be your husbands? <clears throat> Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them? From having husbands, nay, my daughters, for agree with me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And it's no coincidence. The Lord waits eight books of the Bible until it gets to the book of Ruth to mention the word hope in reference to a woman who had no hope. Ruth pictures the church. And like Naomi and like those who are lost, if you want to just... Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Before Jesus Christ, before you were saved, you had no hope. There was no hope. The first mention of hope in your Bible is reference to a woman who had no hope. And that's just like us. Without Jesus Christ, without knowing who God was, the Gentile, Ruth, also had no hope. Look at, Roman, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, If you're there, say amen. 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 Verse number 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, so before you were in Christ, before you knew this hope of the gospel that that you've been given, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that is the state today of any lost person. They have no hope. They don't know why they're getting up in the morning. They don't know what happens when they die. They don't even know why they're alive to begin with. They have no hope. They have no expectation of some good to cling to. Oh, they use the word hope, maybe, but they're using it incorrectly. It's more like a wish or a desire because they got nothing to ground it to. But notice verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus. That's if you're saved, you're in Christ. Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, because of Jesus Christ, you can have hope. Take comfort in that, that you can have some hope in Jesus Christ. That's not something that the world has. You don't have to turn there, but the Bible says in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 7, When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. And the hope of unjust men perisheth. Perisheth has to do with that second death. That death that goes on for eternity, right? That's what Jesus Christ saved us from. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's something that the lost man doesn't have. They have no hope. But you have hope today if you know Jesus Christ. Turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians Chapter 15 in one hand. If you can get 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in one hand. And uh, how, do we get, how do we get this hope? And uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 in the other hand, if you could. How do we get this hope? You know, 1 Corinthians, Paul is... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is going... He's talking to the Corinthians in this chapter. You know, the book of 1 Corinthians is all about correction, right? I believe that's uh, it's a book of reproof. But uh, he's correcting some of the things that were going wrong. There were some people there 
Maybe in Corinth they were like, there's no such thing as the resurrection. There's no such thing as someone coming up from the dead. And he has to rebuke them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and kind of wake them up and said, how can you ever believe that? You know, there's some Christians today that don't even believe in the resurrection. I don't know how you can be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection. That's, that's the most important part of the gospel. If there's no resurrection, your hope is in vain. That's what he says here. He says, and look at verse number, uh, verse number uh, 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Hey, the, 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 the cross is an amazing thing. And you go back to the cross as often as you have to. And thank God for the cross. It was a display of the love of God. But without the resurrection, you got no display of the power of God. The power that Jesus Christ had over death. Their resurrection was the receipt that the payment was made. That God was satisfied with the, with the sacrifice. That Jesus Christ was able to atone for our sins. That resurrection is important. He says in verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If, you, if, if this is just a fairy tale, why are we here? What are we doing? What is the point in sanctifying ourselves, in denying our flesh, if this is just some cunningly devised fable? But you got to look at the next verse. you got to keep reading. And those but nows are so important. But now, right now, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's hope. That's hope that goes beyond the grave. That's hope that goes beyond this life. Why else would you want to get up in the morning? I don't know how the lost do it. You're going to go throughout the whole grind that went today and working your tail off and you're, you're going doing this and doing that to what to make a couple dollars so you can have some food and feed your belly and go to sleep and then die a couple of years later what's the point of life there's more to this life than just this life look at uh flip over to first peter if you had it in your other hand i hope you did he says in first peter chapter one verse number three blessed be god sorry blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. That's where our hope is founded. That's that hope that went into the veil that, I, that we read before in Hebrews chapter 6. That's that hope that's only found in the personage of Jesus Christ. Remember we read before in Ruth how Naomi had no hope? Hey, you know why that she had no hope in that beginning of that book? By, by the end, man, God gave her some, some resur- there was a resurrection. You know, she couldn't bear the fruit of her own womb again, but Ruth was able to come and that hope came by a person. It was by Boaz. It was by a sing- It wasn't by a process. It wasn't by a religion. It wasn't by a church. It was by a person. Our hope is founded in a person tonight. It's the personage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. In hope. We have hope tonight. Amen. If you are saved your sins have been forgiven and Jesus Christ has given you eternal life. I don't understand that, but it's going to happen. And when it happens, man, I'm going to shout. I'm going to sing. I want to do it now because you got to get this down right now. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean the word of God is not still true. Your feelings go like this. But the word of God, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he said it, he said it for a reason. He does not mince words. He meant it. And he says in Titus chapter 1, verse number 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised. He promised it. 
He says it right in the verse, just in case. I love those. He puts those little commas in there, almost like a parenthetical thought, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Question, who did he make that promise to? He didn't promise us. That's not promised to us. That promise wasn't to us. Were you there before the world began? I wasn't there. The only person that he could have made that promise to was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus Christ had hope? Jesus Christ had hope. Some of you might not believe me, but I'm going to show you. Uh, keep uh, a foot, a hand in Titus, and turn with me to Psalms chapter 16, because I want you to see this. Psalms chapter 16. The book of Psalms has hope mentioned more than any other book of the Bible. The heart of your Bible is full of hope. Full of hope. And this is the first mention in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 16, a messianic psalm. David is speaking, but it's really the Spirit of Christ speaking through him. Look at verse number 8. This is an important verse right here. I have, they're all important. I have set the Lord always, bef- excuse me, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And if you are feeling like you're being moved away, just make sure that You haven't moved away from Jesus Christ. He hasn't moved away from you. He's still there. He's at your right hand. And this is Jesus Christ speaking. He he set the Lord always before him. Because Jesus Christ, although he was God incarnate, he was still a man. And he was able to do what we could not do, which was fulfill the law as a man. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. He felt hunger. He felt thirst. He felt betrayal. He felt tired. He went through the same things that we went through as a man and fulfilled, thank God for it, he fulfilled the law for us. And he says, I shall not be moved. Therefore, this is Jesus Christ speaking through David. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Jesus Christ had hope. What was that hope? For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Hey, Peter mentions this in the book of Acts. That's an important verse right there. There's only one holy one. That's Jesus Christ. So when you read this and they try to say, David's talking, he ain't a holy one. The Holy One, capital H, capital O, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, the Bible says. He's the Holy One. That will show me the path of life. How is that happening? How is that happening if you're in hell, Jesus? He had hope that the Lord promised him eternal life. He had hope that God was going to raise him from the dead. He went to that cross by faith, mind you. He had faith in God's promises. He had faith in God's word. He had faith in the hope that the Lord had told him and promised him. And he said, you said you're not going to leave my soul in hell, Father, and I believe you. And one day my soul, because this is in the past, and then when it happened, my flesh is going to go in the grave, but it's not going to see corruption. You're going to raise it up and you're going to show me the path of life. And in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that's where he's sitting right now. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus Christ had hope. And because he had that hope of eternal life, and because you've called upon his name, if you've called upon his name, you're in Christ. Now you have the hope of eternal life. You get eternal life because you're in Christ Jesus. Turn with me back to Titus. I want to show you that. It's all there. You just got to follow the hope trail that's led throughout your Bible. He leaves these handfuls of hope. Handfuls of hope that we can follow. Titus chapter 3, look at verse number 4. Actually, start in verse number 3. Because this is me, this is us, this is where we were. Titus chapter 3, verse number 3. If you're there, say amen. Amen. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's pretty much surmises where we were before Jesus Christ. Some of us are still there now. We got to get repentant of that. Verse number four, but after the kindness, that's what I really wanted to talk about tonight, I'll be honest with you, and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's that word shed again, just like in Romans chapter 5, that, that, that love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts 
Look at verse number seven, that being justified by his grace, his unmerited favor, we should be made heirs. That's an important word. Watch that word. We're going to get to that. Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You have eternal life as a free gift given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ simply by putting your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross. I know we say that all the time. I know it's mentioned all the time. You got to stir yourself up by way of remembrance. You got to remember that and hold on to that because don't let that get dull of hearing. Don't let, don't let the, the, the often, often hearing of that dull the fact of what that means. Because when you die, before, if, you, if before Jesus Christ comes, or when we get called to heaven, we're going to really experience eternal life for what it really is. And then we're going to finally understand, wow, it was real. He really gave us eternal life. I'm never going to taste death because he tasted death for every man. Hallelujah. What a savior. Now, turn with me a couple of pages over to 1 Thessalonians. That's why we can have hope in this life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now the Thessalonians were getting rocked. This is a baby church. Paul had only been there for three weeks. And in Thessalonians chapter 4, but I'm going to read you some, a quick verse in, in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 14, you can see what was going on over there. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which is in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. So in Thessalonica... People were getting persecuted. People were getting killed. I mean, that's a, that's a scary thing. You get this hope of the gospel brought unto you by this, this, this wayfaring man, Paul, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost comes upon you. You start realizing the promises of God are true, and then people start killing you for it. That's some tribulation right there. That's what we read in, in Romans chapter 5, right? Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Where's the hope then, Paul? Hey, He says right there in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13, but I would not have you to be... So the people are dying. I mean, death is real. Death is sad. Death is hard. Death affects all of us. We're all going to be... If you haven't been affected by death, you just haven't lived a little bit long enough yet. You'll be affected by death one way or another, whether it's yourself, your friends, or your loved ones. We all die. Ten out of ten people die. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. It's not really death if you're saved, though, according to the Bible. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He's not saying don't sorrow. There's going to be sorrow. You're going to grieve. We all grieve when people pass. But you don't sorrow as those that have no hope. There's a hope. I got way too many people up there waiting for me to not have hope. Too many to count. Souls from First Bible, souls in my own family. It's going to be the greatest reunion you ever imagined. Hey, hey. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? It's a promise. He get, he's not giving you this hope for no reason. He's not just pulling you along to get through life. There's, some, there's truth in this. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That's probably us. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's, that's what hope gives you. Hope gives you comfort. It gives you joy. Because there's an expectation of that good that's obtainable. And it's not just like Webster's definition, that it's a slight expectation, if it's founded on God's promises, you can bet your bottom dollar it's coming true. More than anything else, it is going to happen. Those who have passed on, you will see again. I'm not saying that out of arrogance. I'm saying that out of confidence in the Bible. Confidence in who I, who I believe. Now, that's in a great promise that God has given us, that we have hope of eternal life. But I'll be honest with you, the Old Testament saints had that hope too. They had hope of a resurrection. They knew about it. Turn with me to Job, Job chapter 19. They didn't have it like we had it, where it's so sure, 
They lived their life in, in fear. There was fear of death because they had, no, they had no way to have their sin totally taken away. Jesus Christ came on the scene, the Bible says. He says he was the Lamb of God that taketh away sin. Before that, it was just covered. You can never be totally righteous. You can never stay in the presence of the Holy God. That's why paradise wasn't in heaven yet. Paradise was in the heart of the earth in Abraham's bosom. But now, now we get to absent from the body, present with the Lord, man. You're right there. You're in, you're in the presence of the heavenly host. It's like passing, like Pastor, Mike, Pastor Pat says, like passing from one room to the next. That's what death is. So Job chapter 19, Job knew about this. Look at verse uh, 23. We'll start there. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. I guess he got his prayer answered. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know, do you know, that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin, his physical flesh, Worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes. You got to get this. You're going to see God. You've heard about him maybe your whole life. You've heard things about heaven, but you're going to see him with your eyeballs. Faith is not forever. Faith will be exchanged for sight. It will happen. My eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Somehow, in the Old Testament, they knew they were going to drop, but one day there was going to be that resurrection, that resurrection at the last day, which we're not going to get into that. But in Jesus Christ, you have more than just the hope of eternal life. You know that? You have, we have something so special in this dispensation. I thank God that I was born when I was born. I don't know if I could do what the Jews did. Yeah, they saw the miracles of God. Yeah, they saw the glory of God in the temple. They still had a hard life. Their life was just as much a living sacrifice as I am thankful to God that I don't have to worry every time I sin about my soul going to hell. My sins are forgiven. Thank God for it. And we have that hope of eternal life. But you have more than that in Jesus Christ. There's another hope that the Bible talks about. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. There's another hope. This might be familiar to a lot of people. It might not be. Maybe we just need to hear it again. Colossians chapter 1. Now, Colossians, if you didn't know, is the only place in your Bible where the word Laodicea is mentioned outside of Revelation. The Laodicean church represents that last uh, part of the church age uh, where the church would be in apostasy, lukewarm, God on the outside of the church, not going to get in. Horrible state. That's the day that we live in right now, where we think that we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and we are just poor, wretched, miserable, and blind. So Colossians, then, is the cure for the Laodicean spirit. And it's no coincidence that three times in the first chapter of Colossians, that word hope pops up. A different hope. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse um, number 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we, have, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. That's not eternal life, by the way. We're going to get to that. Whereof ye have heard before in the word of the, gospel, in the, word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So now, Paul never actually went to Colossae. He's writing this letter to them, and he says, hey, this gospel came unto you, and uh, we're, you know, we're thanking God for it, and there's this hope that's laid up in heaven for you. Look at now uh, verse number 21. Kind of sounds familiar to what he mentioned in, in the book of Ephesians. And you that were sometime alienated, right? We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. He's brought the two together. He's made us one in Jesus Christ. He's made the two parties that were odds together in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. This is the, by the way, this is God's desire for us, that we would be holy, 
unblameable and unreprovable in the sight. That doesn't mean you're going to live sinless perfectionism. Get that garbage out of your head. It means that you're going to do the best by God's grace enabling you to be unblameable. That, that no one can look at you and said, you didn't, you didn't help me like you should have. I fear for the years I've wasted that I, have, I could have people point at me and blame me. We ask God for forgiveness and we move on. If, that next word, verse 23, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister. What is the hope that he's talking about? First, he, he just keep reading. That's, that's the, if you don't know something in your Bible, don't go to the internet. Keep reading the Bible and ask God to give you understanding. Eventually, you'll get it. I'm telling you this for the people watching on the internet. Don't go to YouTube, even though you're on YouTube right now watching me. Don't go to your YouTube teachers. Stay in the book. Stay in, stay in church and get around God's people and let the Holy Spirit of God teach you this book. Otherwise, you're going to be all types of screwed up because those internet preachers are not how God intended for us to learn the Bible. Off my soapbox. So now look at verse number uh, 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So this was something that God had in the works for a long time and nobody knew about it to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, you read the Old Testament. He says in Isaiah, I will not share my glory with anybody. But if you're in Christ, you're going to get that glory. That's a hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, I got to really understand this. I got to get this through my own thick head. This glory that we're talking about, and we're going to go into a little bit, this glory that we have hope of obtaining must be a big deal because you don't have to turn there, but if Jesus Christ in the upper room, before he's going to the cross, and we have have this little glimpse in John chapter 17 when when Pat gets there before the rapture, hopefully. I'm just kidding, Pat. I love you. In John chapter 17, he's praying to his heavenly father and he starts by saying, and now in verse number five of John 17, and now, O father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So if Jesus Christ, before he goes to the cross, is asking for that glory back, that glory must be a big deal. I don't want to just think about it as, oh, I'm going to shine like the stars. And we read it and we, we minimize what God is really offering us. That we get to share in the glory that Jesus Christ has procured. It's his glory and he's letting us take part of that. And we did nothing to deserve it. All we're doing is getting out of his way and allowing him to work through us. That's a hope. That's a hope. Turn with me to Romans chapter Eight. Romans chapter 8. Now, the word hope, I mentioned before, you know, it, it shows up the most in the book of Psalms. The second time it shows up the most is actually in the book of Job. And I suppose it's because the Jews in the tribulation are going to need a lot. They, it, a lot of the time it's mentioning they have no hope. And that's, that's going to be, a, a, you know, the Jews going through the tribulation, they're going to need hope. That's why Hebrews is written that they can hope until the end. But the full mention, or the most time that's mentioned in a singular spot, is in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He is our Father now. Amen. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Don't forget that. And if children then heirs, right? Heirs of God, just like he said in Titus. Heirs. That's, that, that's referring to that hope of eternal life. That's a gift. That's something you get point blank when you believe on Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. I have eternal life now because I'm an heir of God. And joint heirs with Christ. If 
Now, this one's conditional. This hope that we have is conditional. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. That's what he wants. Where is bride? He wants to share in the glory with his bride. Look at what I've made out of this dust balls, these dirt balls. And then we're going to shine like Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, the world's going to see us, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians. All eyes are going to see us, and they're going to glorify him. Like, look what Jesus Christ was able to do with a bunch of knuckleheads like us. Amen? That's an amazing hope. And then he goes and says this. Now, for I reckon that the suffering, he's not Southern, he's, it's an accounting term. He's reckoning it. You got to reckon these things. You got to attribute them to yourselves. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to, this is how important this is, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says, all the sufferings of your life don't tip the balance a, 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 a millimeter in comparison to the glory that you're going to be able to receive if we suffer with Jesus Christ. If we suffer. Watch it now. For the earnest expectation, that's what hope is, of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you trusted on Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit came inside you and made you a new person on the inside. You are no longer just Joshua. I am now in, inside of me is that Spirit of God. I am a new creature in there. I don't know what the name is, but there's a new creature living on the inside of me. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be bound in this, but by reason of Him, meaning God, who hath subjected the same in hope. There's a hope now. There's a hope that we had to look for. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This flesh ain't going to hold us down forever into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We, we, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit. I love that. That's an old-fashioned word to kind of give you a little bit more information. To wit, the redemption of our body. Your soul has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your spirit has been quickened by the Spirit of God. But your body, that still has to be redeemed. And it will be one day. This body is going to be changed. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, the end of that chapter, this vile body is going to be changed into the glorious body like unto Jesus Christ. Now, verse 24. So you got to be careful now because it's going to say this word saved. That saved does not have to do with the salvation of your soul. That has to do with the salvation of your body. So people online, if you're listening, hey, not every time the Bible says the word save, it has to do with your soul. You got to really rightly divide, like Danny said. You got to get into discipleship chapter one and really learn the book, because otherwise you're going to screw yourself up trying to put doctrines in places that they don't belong. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You can't see it. I don't see the glory, but it's coming. It's coming. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience hope. I love how in this chapter all about that hope, there's a bunch of verses in here that you can cling to for hope. 28's the biggest one, I think. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's a verse you can hope in. That's a verse you can cling to. Now, um, where am I going? You can turn with me to 2 uh, Corinthians. I just want to show you this too. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What am I doing on time? I got to quick, get quicker. I got to go quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse number 16. I just want to show you this verse because I love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 16. Just another reiteration of kind of what he says in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, for which cause we faint not. 
For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, that new creature, is renewed day by day. And this is what he says about the life that you live now. You know what he calls it? For our light affliction. How can, how can Paul say that? Being shipwrecked, beaten, stoned to death, betrayed by other brethren, how could, whipped as, how many times? A hundred and something times. Light affliction, which is but for a moment. You know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, ever had like a bad dream and you wake up and you're like, oh, that was a bad dream, but then it, you forget about it? That's going to be this life. It's going to be just a bad dream. Because in God's eternal day, we're going to, like he says we sleep in Jesus Christ. We're going to wake up in glory and we're going to be like, man, that was horrible, but it's over now. Just but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are, are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's hard to get this. Because we're only used to what we see physically. What we can hold, what we can touch, taste, hear, and smell. We're, we're bound to this temporal world. But by the grace of God, you got to get your eyes off the temporal and get our eyes on the eternal because that's what really matters. Our life, it's going to go probably not the way we think it's going to go. And that's okay. God's in control. And if we keep doing right by Him, there's going to be a reward at the end for it. Look at, um, look at, uh, I got to hurry up. Look at um, Philippians chapter 1. Paul felt this way. Paul's writing Philippians from a jail cell. That's, that's some pretty tough times. Can't go out and preach the gospel. I mean, all this, this, I mean, he said somewhere in Corinthians that he lists all these things that are affecting him. And, you know, the biggest thing was the care of all the churches. And he probably was really upset that he couldn't go and visit his brethren. He, that's why he starts writing these letters. Thank God that he did. Thank God God worked out the horrible situation for good because now we have these books of the Bible that we wouldn't have had if God didn't put him through those hard times. Look at what he says there um, in verse uh, 19 of Philippians chapter 1. For I know, got to know this, got to know these things, that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You get to where Paul's at? I want to get to where Paul's at, where it doesn't matter if I'm down here or if I die, I win either way. I'm just going to let Jesus Christ live out through me down here. And you know what? I'm not going to let anything else bog me down because I have this hope. And if you have hope in Jesus Christ, you're never going to be ashamed. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon him shall not be ashamed in Romans chapter 10. And if you've lived your life according to this book, yeah, they might ridicule you down here. You're not going to have shame up there. It's going to be, wow, you did it. You, they're going to be rejoicing as we go in and seeing, because right now we can't see what's going on in the inside, but up there, it's going to be for everybody to see. No one's going to be able to hide what's really going on down here. Um, look at, uh, let's go back to Romans chapter 5. I want to hurry. Romans chapter 5. Because I want to get down. Now that's great. Thank God that we have hope of eternal life. And thank God even more that we have this hope of glory, that we can have this glory to share with Jesus Christ when, when He calls us to be home with Him, that we can earn a reward, that we can maybe give something back to Him for the great love where He's showed us. But let's get down to where we really live, the day-to-day. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read that again in verse number 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. How, God? How does He actually do it? How does He work through these tribulations that He puts us through, these trials and these hard times? 
and somehow brings hope for us out of it. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 42. Psalms chapter 42. Now, there's no heading on the book of Psalms in the, this chapter, but we can imply maybe that it's David speaking. Psalm chapter 42. I don't want to imply, but he wrote most of the book of Psalms, but it doesn't say who wrote Psalm 42. Maybe that's for a reason. And uh, let's take it up in verse number 2. The Bible says, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they, the wicked, continually say unto me, Where is thy God? Ever been there? When bad things happen, and the world looks at you and says, you're, This is the way that your God treats you? Where's your God, man? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And then he says it again. Look at verse number 10. As with swords in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? And that's what the devil does. He gets in your face. And he says, where's your God now? Where's your God now? And he says in verse 11, Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Not happening right this second, maybe. But it's going to. Who is the health of my countenance and my God? He says something similar in the next chapter. Look at verse number 5 of the next chapter. Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. My question to you is, how do you hope in God? How do you actually do it? Do you just trust in whatever? The hope in God must be connected with the word of God. That's where the hope lies. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 119. The longest chapter in your Bible has hope mentioned four times. We're only going to look at three of them real quick. I want to hurry. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Look at verse number 49. David wrote this psalm. I can tell you that for sure. He says in Psalm chapter 119, verse 49, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. His hope was connected to something that God had spoken to him. Just like Jesus Christ's hope in eternal life was connected to the promise that God had given him, it's not just founded upon hoping in God. I I hope, I hope, I hope. What are you hoping in? You get into the book and you find the God's promises and you hold him accountable because he didn't mince words when he put this book together. He left this here for us to get to, to bear the burden of this life with. Look at verse number 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Hope in the word. Hope in the word. Look at uh, 114, verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. That's where the hope lies, beloved. The hope lies in the words of the living God. The words of life that he's preserved for us in the King James Bible, mind you, at home. Look at... um, Look at uh, Job chapter 14. I'm almost done. Job chapter 14. A couple more stops. Job chapter 14. Now, if you've lost hope, or you think a situation is hopeless, hope in God, hope in His promises. I hate sometimes Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He drives me nuts, because he's so wrong on so many occasions. But he does say this. Go to Job chapter 14, but he does say this in Ecclesiastes. And I thought I was like, all right, Solomon, you got one on me. You got one thing right. He says in Ecclesiastes, um, 
I think it's chapter 9. For to him, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4, for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. Hey, when there's life, there's hope. If the person that you're praying for that might not be saved is still breathing, there's hope. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. There's hope. There's hope that God is willing. The Bible says he's willing that all men should come unto the knowledge of the truth, that they might be saved. But look at Job chapter 14. Maybe for those who knew the word of God, the prodigals. I know way too many of them. Job chapter 14, verse number 7. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, it might be years since that person's walked through the doors of a church house. Yet, through the scent of water, that word of God, it will bud and bring forth bows like a plant. There is still hope. It looks like it's dead. It's a stump on the ground. What do you mean, God? You know, he said that I see men as trees, right? We're supposed to be likened under trees. Now, get two spots for me, and we're almost done. Get two spots in your hand. I know I, I got you going a little bit long. Psalms chapter 1 and Jeremiah chapter 17. I got you flipping a lot. Forgive me. I want you to see the book. We're in Bible study, right? <laughs> Psalms chapter 1. I saw this and I was like, wow, Lord. That's pretty impressive. You impressed me again. Talking about trees. Psalms chapter 1 and Jeremiah 17. If you got both, say amen. Amen. All right, Pete's got it. Look at verse number 1 of Psalms chapter 1. It says, Blessed, this is how the book starts. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he, that person, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you stick close enough to this book, you're going to be grounded, you're going to be settled, and you're just going to keep bringing forth that fruit of the Spirit of God. And uh, you're not going to have to worry because that hope is just going to keep abounding inside you. Just like that hope of a tree that's mentioned in Job, it's going to bring forth and bud. And now look at Jeremiah chapter 17. And look at verse number 5. Same kind of analogy he's using here. But look at verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. Don't leave the Lord. Don't be like in the book of Ruth where they left Bethlehem due to the house of bread. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. Don't forsake your Bible. Been there, done that, misery only awaits. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. Look at it now. Blessed is the man, there it is again, that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Because it has to be in that person. For he... Now watch, watch the pronouns. This is so cool. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I thought that was amazing. He covers both genders. Male, female. He, she. You get planted in this book, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to have hope. The hope lies in the book. Why? In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about Jesus Christ. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. It's a person. But yet, in John chapter 1, you find out that that person and the word are synonymous. So if you're hoping in the word, you're hoping in the person. Because he's, it's the same. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're hoping in His promises. You're hoping in His Word. That's how you hope in God. 
That's how you get hope. Finish with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. Finish here. Last verse, I promise. 1 Peter chapter 3. I promise. I can lie, but I promise. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, if you choose to live the Christian life like you're supposed to, you're going to look crazy. You're going to look absolutely insane. People are going to be like, how can you have hope in a hopeless world? Because they have no hope. We read it before. The hope of unjust men perisheth. They got nothing. But in Jesus Christ, you have such hope. They're going to look at you, and they're just going to question it. And that's when the open door comes. Look at verse number 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's where it begins. Not getting your butt in church, but getting God in your heart. Get back to the basics and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. They're going to see the hope in you. They're going to say, how can you be so hopeful in this horrible situations and everything like that? And you say, I believe in God. I hope in his promises. He's giving me hope. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.